Hi, and welcome to the Pride Road Architects podcast. I'm Lisa, Lisa Rains, and each episode I'll talk to people who interest me in the world of architecture and business. So join me and fellow lions and lionesses as we explore architecture in the den. So hi everyone and welcome to uh, Architecture in the Den with me Lisa Rains and today um, I'm delighted that I've got fellow podcaster (laughs) Austin Williams. So um, do you want to just introduce yourself briefly? Yeah hi Lisa, Um, yeah my name is Austin Williams, Uh, I'm an architect uh, registered architect. I stopped with the RIVA a while ago. Oh, controversial. Wow. Uh, we can get <laughs> into that. Um, the uh, Yeah, so I, I, I stopped practicing as an architect um, probably 20 years ago, uh, because I then became the technical editor of the Architects Journal, uh, moved on up from that and worked for NBS um, uh, film making, film production house with uh, the RIBA. And then I went to China to teach uh, for six years in China, and now I'm in Kingston School of Art. So that's my kind of formal salary-paying life. Uh, My more interesting life is the fact that I run the Future Cities Project, which does events and podcasts and this, that, and the other. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Oh, thank you very much. Well, welcome, welcome. So I found you you, um, on when I was looking for... um, on Spotify for potential podcast guests. So um, there aren't that many <laughs> architects or um, non-practicing architects on um, on Spotify. So I thought I'd just reach out and see. Um, so tell me a bit about your podcast and what you're up to on it. Yeah, well, it's called Professional Practice Podcasts, uh, which is a snappy title um, from the fact that I teach professional practice and it's a podcast. Um, so it's... Uh, it's something which I thought I would, and we've talked earlier about this with the uh, the air courts, it's a value added or added value uh, element to the course that I teach at Kingston School of Art. Um, so is it endorsed uh, by Kingston School of Art? Endorsed? Uh, I, <laughs> right. I'm old school. <laughs> I'm old school, okay? So basically, I'm one of those people that acts first and asks permission second. Yeah. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so in fact, they know I'm doing it. I told them I'm doing it. Uh, they wanted to bring it in-house. Um, yeah. But to do that would mean that they wanted to have, you know, diversity amongst the staff contributing to it and taking on a, a interview role. And I wasn't going to let that happen. So basically, it's a private... Future Cities podcast uh, done on behalf of Kingston School of Art. Maybe I shouldn't have said that out loud, but that's that's what it is. So um, it, it means that the students are getting my lectures and getting our you know uh, um, in-house conversations and seminars and tutorials and what have you every week. Uh, but at the same time, I'm trying to bring in additional voices to give them a little bit of a nuanced extra understanding of a variety of topics uh that we don't have time for in the working week yeah so how how long have you been running it for uh i think i started yeah i did start uh the year before covid 
Oh, oh before COVID. Exactly. One year BC. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and then, and then the miracle, basically I was doing it with my little handheld recorder. Yeah. First of all, I started filming it. I used to be a filmmaker. And so oh. I used to take a camera and all the, and all the kits. Yeah. Uh, then I kind of compressed it down with a podcast without the images for a little recorder. Uh, mm. And then even though I was spending a fortune on recorders, they'd always, they'd always cock up at the moment when you didn't want it to, you know what I mean? There'd right. be a glitch in the system. Mm. So ironically, uh, and this is a, a terrible thing to say, but the benefit of COVID mm. was Zoom, as you've discovered with these podcasts yourself. And the miracle of being able to talk to people in other countries, let mm. alone, you know, uh, other parts of uh, this country, uh, and to have automatic recording uh, with good quality sound very yeah. often, yeah. It, you know, is, is something which I don't know why we never thought about it before. I was a Skype user yeah. before, but, you know, I don't know who uses Skype these days. I anymore. used to use Skype. It was awful. That's, probably, that's why awful. that's why we didn't do it yeah. yeah 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 now when i lived in china that was my lifeline you know to to, to speak uh, to, to friends in in this country yeah um, there was often a how, how do you rate your call yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, really it was, bad. Up, it was <laughs> and there was an upgrade every couple of days wasn't there which always kind of delayed things mm. um but yeah so so that that's that's really kind of where it where it comes from is just to mm. give that extra value to my mainly part three students but anybody can listen in and then it's also for newly qualified student uh, newly qualified architects i think who maybe can see it as a bit of a cpd extra right okay so, it no, was, no so it's a nice tie-in to what we're doing here sort Absolutely. of like you know it's about the business of architecture um all things architecture and business so um, sort of refreshing i think for any architect going back and looking at part three content is is really important yeah, well, I'm terrible at business, so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm no businessman, uh, which is why I'm in the public sector. Um, uh, so therefore, I, I, you know, I get guests in to speak about business um, ah. and and all the rest of it. Oh, but, so I'm, really? I'm topic. What do you do? <laughs> You're well. So, there you go. So, uh, so what do? You, so, ha have you come across franchising franchising in architecture before? Well, I, I had. I hadn't really looked at it in a in a in a big way. I just I've been reading your stuff for the last couple of well whatever how long it takes um and it's actually very interesting i mean i know franchise was, was this before i contacted you or after uh after oh after. No, you, you, <laughs> damn then, i thought i was on the radar <laughs> no sorry 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 no what i mean is is that you sent me a lot of stuff and a lot of links and it kind of led me down rabbit holes we had good rabbit holes um to so kind good. of look into it also i know what franchising is and i've mm. you know and I've, friends of mine have done it with uh, it practices and, and what mm. have you uh, and obviously, I know like Arcanthus and things like that, who you weren't necessarily called franchises, but mm -hmm. they became quite an uh, influential uh, practice way back when. Um, so, I mean, I, I like the idea and I like the efficiency drive of it. Because I was thinking when I was reading some of your stuff, um, it reminded me of, you know, practices that I knew uh, that had, you know, a central base in, say, London. Mm -hmm. But then they had another office in Germany and another office in Shanghai. And then when there were lean periods, they would shunt work around mm. you know what i mean and actually that that idea of actually having people able to back you up and work on your behalf and be a port mm. of call if you had difficulties mm. i kind of quite like that shared knowledge um, experience so mm. it's, it sounds great to me yeah i it was brilliant i mean it is it is brilliant um but particularly brilliant during sort of covid because we just we pivoted instantly we just um we 
In fact, it's just, um, I was just quoted in Forbes magazine. Yeah, how about you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so there's an article in Forbes. If you Google Forbes and Lisa Rains, you'll, you'll see the quote. Um, so at the beginning of lockdown, um, we were a face-to-face -face operation, um, but we pulled knowledge. Um, I just started using Zoom a couple of months beforehand, so I was slightly ahead of the curve. Um, I'd had a few clients that I'd met through like the home builders and renovation shows, which was kind of outside of my trap my you know easy to to get to so we did a zoom call um and that worked um and my colleague magda um she's been going over to poland for the summer um so she's been using kind of some virtual technologies before before covid as well to kind of keep on working um so very quickly we um I bought a camera, which is if if you what if you're watching on YouTube, you can see my camera overhead. <laughs> We've got a very very exciting sort of. Uh, yeah, really good. It's on an angle poise arm, and it and it's pretty effective. Um, and it's just a webcam, but just stuck onto an angle poise, um, and but it works very well. Um, so that's what when you're showing yeah. talking to clients and showing them drawings and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I'll plug it in now. So what have I got on my desk? I've got a markup. Something or start of a markup. Ooh, yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite nifty, isn't it? Yeah, so it's quite clear. And it works pretty well. And clients generally go, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then they get bored. <laughs> no, they yeah, don't. Well. <laughs> no, they find it really engaging. Um, yeah, so we did. I also ended up during lockdown building things out of Lego, um, mm, which was just really use really useful to explain concepts to clients. So this is a Victorian terraced house, and we've got the outrigger yeah. chimneys. I'm missing a chimney actually. Um, <laughs> um, so I've got a series of Lego models which are made and then distributed to my franchisees at the time. <laughs> and it was just really fun, you know, finding ways of engaging. So being part of a franchise, we pulled the experience and then I wrote an operations manual of how to do it. And then we went out and marketed it. And within a week, we had a stream of clients going, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. And we were incredibly busy. So how, how is the market? How's the market? I would say um, it's uh, slowing down a little bit. Um, we, I set up in the recession of 20, uh, in 2010. So, and I just, we just do domestic extensions and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, and what you find is in a recession, Clients can't afford to move, but they still need the space, so they have to extend. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the um, in the boom, they can't afford to move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and COVID lockdown gave them disposable income as well for this moment, but obviously yeah. 
that's been eaten away a little bit by the hellish situation of cost of living and price rises and goodness yeah. knows what. I, I, you tend to think, you know, people still need to extend. Um, uh, the way that we work, we don't like putting people in negative equity. And we start with a hand-drawn concept design workshop that we do on tracing paper in front of our clients. So mm -hmm. I just grab one. Um, you know, we draw them as sort of A3, 1 to 50. Yeah. And we charge for this exercise so yeah. we'll charge between 300 and 600 pounds whether it's online or in person we'll give clients a series of options if they want an extension you know is it a small medium or large or will just a, an internal reconfiguration do yeah. um and then we'll ask clients to do their own research, speak to builders to get an idea of cost if they can, or, or a quantity surveyor, speak to an estate agent to get an idea of value, um, speak to neighbours to see if there's any showstoppers, and then the clients will come back and um, then tell us which way they want to go and whether it's viable or not. Okay. But things like uh, party wall malarkey, are yes. you involved in that? I mean, um, do, you, we, do, do you offer that? Or? We don't. In, that's really interesting. But uh, no, we um, we put forward a party wall surveyor. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I find it, it's, it's quite um, tricky. If, what we tend to find is if we include loads of services, our clients don't value them. <laughs> and don't pay any attention to them yeah yeah so now, when, when i was a, when I, I did a short stint as a sole practitioner yeah uh, i did, didn't enjoy it but um it was one of those things where and i was started off doing um kitchen extensions and, and what have you uh, yeah. domestic extensions locally and I, I was finding you know I you go away and you do the drawing and then you'd say you know look, it's going to be blah 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 over two thousand pounds for me to do the next couple of stages and they say oh no we've spoken to a contractor and they mm -hmm. said that they would do the planning and billing regulation submissions for free <laughs> and you say no he's hiding the costs in the build cost. you know what i mean like he's not doing it for free is he right but of course they could never ever, once you kind of say i'm going to set myself apart as an independent agent and that's what i'm going to do just a drawing mm. and then the hero comes along and builds it you know you're just a look doing some drawings do you know what I mean so mm -hmm. you, you 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 can get some of your services just lost in other people's kind of work because nobody understands really what it is that architects do let alone kind of appreciates it but I, but I agree with you that there's so much you know principal design all these bits and bobs which have been added on which mm. can kind of confuse the domestic client especially as to what on earth am I paying this extra 500 quid for for you to be a principal designer mm. when you know when isn't that what you do anyway kind of thing mm. uh so it's uh yeah it's uh the, the bureaucracy i mean i think the bureaucracy i think the technocracy and i think the added level of you know uh policy and regulation which is almost going to come like a a waterfall in the last decade is really not helped matters not it hasn't helped architects understand what it is that they do Mm. let alone mm. clients being able to grasp it so it's a very curious world and it's getting even more confusing i think mm. i mean what what we've got 
in our in the franchise system is again we pull knowledge and we kind of where we get client confusion is where we um tighten up our system and clarify so we, we break our, down our service into sort of three stages first stage is the concept design second is planning third is building regs we do not confuse it any more than that yeah you know, but you're going you are going for building uh regs approval not not a notice you're going for approval eh? yeah we go for yeah. approval okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah the the notice tends to uh that if it's just internal um yeah. and it's minor works then we'll leave it to the client to do it on a notice okay do you then do you follow it through all the way through on site then no uh no we don't no, we stop okay. our services at um after building risk. well we offer a um a pre-start meeting um we call it free but the costs are you know sort of put yeah. elsewhere um we think that's really important because we get that's when we meet the builder and the client and we just stipulate how important it is to contact us if there's any issues right and are you, are you leaving the contractor side to the client fully or are you doing any due diligence on their behalf or anything like yeah, that no, no just leave it to the leave okay. it to the client um Maybe. if they want any further input then we'll work we'll put forward a project manager wow good keep yeah away the, keep away from the messy stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah it works very well yeah absolutely yeah yeah um, there's a there's a there's quite a few i mean obviously the shift in in the industry towards d and b in the last you know 10 15 years mm. uh, has been like almost part of that but obviously main lots of architects want to be innovated because they need the percentages but uh but, but a, not a in the domestic sector. no that's very true that's very true the, the yeah. domestic sector is so unre unregulated mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and clients just they're they they're led by builders. You know, they're like, oh, this is permitted development. You know, we don't need to do anything. I'm mm -hmm. like, mm, really? And then they come back to me going, oh, well, they said it was permitted development. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but all those things are changing so much. I mean, you'd have to be a, a you know really on the ball, regardless of whether you're a builder contractor developer architect whatever you know mm. really on the ball to keep up to speed with some of these shifts in you know i mean the, the planning act you know which we were all looking at and wondering about and increased permitted development and article four directions and you know goodness knows what it was kind of floating around as being revised and we were now going to be able to build any particular size because michael gove says it didn't matter about space standards mm. blah, blah. and then suddenly like that's it's now been revoked right and then there's a new tear that up uh but obviously there's a lot of people who are going the spirit of it mm. rather than the reality of some of these regulations do you know mm. what i mean so sometimes you can approach a planning inspector who also doesn't know which bit is now currently live in the same way i don't know sorry to waffle on about this no, no, but, no, but, but you know like with with like fire regulations and extra staircases you know and, and all this kind of stuff if you're doing no i know it's not domestic but if you're doing high rise you know, there is no law at the moment that says you have to put an extra staircase in a building 18 meters high, but there will be because that's mm -hmm. the direction it's going. So if you're designing something now, obviously in the old days, it would be quick, get your application in quick before you had to put a second staircase in. Mm -hmm. Now it's kind of like an ethical moral duty to say, oh, maybe I should convince the client to put an extra staircase in, even though it's not required mm -hmm. yet, because it may be sometime in the future. So it's a very odd 
kind of moral shift and political shift. So it's like we're guided by regulations that aren't yet in force. Mm, it's, mm. A very, it's, a, it's a very strange thing. So to be on top of that, um, you know, on a, on a domestic build is 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 very very uh, demanding. I think. Mm. I know. Well, it's it's kind of like looking at minimum guidelines and then best practice, and we and we and we do have to take a a stance. We, we've just updated our legals and um, sort of our our kind of contracts lawyer kind of reviewed what where they need to be and what they need to say um and you know about vat and um sort of cooling cooling off periods and um you know and and she was saying oh it's not in the riba standard documents and one of the franchisees was like well why you know why should we be doing better than the riba i'm like well we should be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know it you know we are it, we do need to look at these things take a view and kind of go for best practice really yeah yeah i mean obviously then it becomes a proper conversation as to what best practice means <laughs> yeah. yes and who decides uh yeah don't get me started on the rba <laughs> <clears throat> when did Instead. you fall, when did you fall out with them oh well, i've never been a fan I mean, you know, it's a club, isn't it? And uh, and I've never, I've never been a, uh, a a club member joining type. Um, but I don't. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll keep it brief because I realise I'm talking while being recorded. Uh, Just, yeah, I, I think the ARB are. I mean, the ARB are bad enough um, in as much as they are now becoming very powerful. Mm. Uh, more so in the past. I mean, they just used to run around the country, you know, 20 of them trying to find people that were abusing title. Uh, now they're going to be monitoring on a much kind of wider level. They're going to be recruiting lots of people. They're going to be affiliated to the HSC uh, as part of the kind of new regs changes with the Building Safety Act. And I think they, you know, they're going to be a little bit of a nuisance. Um, you know, some might say it's necessary, but it's, it's still a nuisance. The RIBA, I just think, have become kind of incredibly moralistic in there. So rather than just having a, you know, your charted practice um, and your stipulations that you know you're going to, as you say, have standards you're going to perform to, and you'll make sure that you are professional and you act with integrity, etc. Um, it's kind of becoming a much more political conversation. I mean, not that I'm averse to conversations about environmentalism and carbon counting and other things, but it's almost like carbon counting has become the central focus of what we do. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's such a, I don't know how you do it. I mean, are you, are you a carbon counting calculator computer type? No, no, have... because our clients, our clients typically are the ones that would go to a builder rather than an architect. So they do not have uh, their budgets really limited and sort of anything green credentials kind of just disappear in the first pass yeah yeah money for it yeah Um, although i'm gonna start i kind of do want to do my own piece of research now onto you know can we become self-sufficient um can we generate our own electricity and power um as a on a domestic scale um well 
because uh, because I've got yeah. personal financial interest in it. No, I understand that. I understand that. Why pay for heating if you have a fully insulated property that doesn't require heating? I mean, I, mm. I understand that. I mean, I, I you know, I, my starting point always was that uh, the National Grid was one of the greatest infrastructure projects of all time, uh, providing centrally located efficient power to every house in the country. And uh, so there, for me, there's something retrograde about saying we need to provide our own individual power to our own house and, mm. sod, and sod the neighbour. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? There's something non-communitarian about that that approach, uh, very isolationist and almost parochial. So there's, I mean, philosophically, I have a problem with it, although, as you say, for efficiency's sake and for cost savings, it makes mm. a lot of sense. Mm. Um uh, and you know, and, and you know, I'm having I, I, I'm having an extension boat, uh, and I'm going to be using SIPS panels because mm -hmm. it's quick, it's simple, it's efficient, it's sealed, mm. you know, <laughs> ready sealed. Um, so there are new things which no, it's hardly new, but there, there are kind of interesting things that you can mm. kind of play around with. And I, I'm in an old leaky Victorian house, mm. um, which I had lots of, you know, I was thankful for in the heat wave. But mm -hmm. not so much in the winter. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. I'm a little bit kind of confused about the direction of travel with a lot of the, these discussions, and a lot of them are contradictory. Um, you know. Anyway, so uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there to unpick, but we probably haven't got time. Mercifully, to kind of, <laughs> we've just to glanced a, 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 across a number of pro um, topics, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> I tend to, I tend to go off beam. I'm afraid. Sorry. Hmm. So just looking over your bio, it, yeah. it, it says you wrote and directed over 200 short doc documentaries for NBS TV. Yeah, yeah. So that's not... Uh, well, that's when I worked. So like I said, I worked, I was the technical editor of the AJ mm. for five years. And then I, uh, I met up with uh, NBS, <coughs> who I knew from Newcastle. I used to work in Newcastle. Ah. Oh. Uh, and um, and I give, gave them a proposition to bring back easy briefs. I don't know, you're, you're too young to remember easy briefs back in the 70s, um, which were like uh, hand-drawn um, idiot's guides to, to regulations. So I did that with them for about two years, uh, illustrating the easy briefs. And we called them shortcuts because easy briefs was a copyrighted title we couldn't get copyright for. Uh, so I did that for two, three years, I think. And then we trans then NBS bought a film company mm. you know, completely randomly so i was thrust into a position of becoming a director uh, of short films translating these idiots guides to architecture into short 20 minute kind of useful films um can we still find them are they still uh, they, they're floating around there somewhere but i think nbs have got a terrible archiving system right. um and you know i, I to be honest with you, you know, two, I probably did about 250, probably 20 I'm reasonably proud of. Um, <laughs> the rest are kind of formulaic, you know, interviewing somebody about JCT contracts is not my finest moment. But, I mean, they were useful. <laughs> they were useful. And it's kind of, again, that, that almost set in, in, in um, good stead um, teaching practice. You know what I mean? How yeah. to actually how to get to grips. So it's more the fact that those all of that career, that mm. 10, 10, 15, 10 years, I think, 12 years, was about trying to uh phrasey, get to the nub of really confusing technical issues. Um, and just kind of um 
uh, yeah, just get to the simple issues that you really need to get a hold of. So, so how, do you think you've kind of repeated those or brought them up to date with your with the podcast series? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of that. I mean, mm, okay. so we, I mean, prior to that, I was an architect, and I was a, I was a site architect. That was my that was my job. So it was it was never about the niceties of aesthetics. Uh, it was all about how you get the job done and how it, how you make it work. So I was kind of dealing with you know on site cabins with site foreman. Uh, knocking up details that the fancy bow tied architect back in the office hadn't thought about. So I was very much a kind of a practical, dare I say, pragmatic uh, architect rather than a fancy one. Um, and so really, again, I've always been interested in how things work um, and how to, to make them work better, which comes back to the efficiency point as it happens. But, you know, how, you know, uh, you know what, what, what is the core of the, of I mean, what is Brian? Do you know what I mean? What what is it? Uh, these are the kind of questions which we kind of let float over our heads. You know, I'm Brian, excellent. Yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, you know, how do you how do you what do you do if you discover a bat in your loft? You know, I, I just think these are really fascinating because I mean, every day somewhere in architecture circles, somebody's discovering that problem and mm. reinventing the you know research yeah. uh, and and finding out what to do about it. And I think you know if you could just consolidate that. Just tell them very simple answers. It's kind of quite handy. Resource. So, uh, so what was the last post podcast you put out? What topic was it on? Uh, well, I did the uh, design review panels, mm -hmm. um, and I've just got one now, which I'm just about to edit uh, on the building regulations changes, okay. uh, which are just bonkers. Um, I mean, fire. <laughs> you know, you you could do an entire series on fire regulations. Uh, to be honest with you, I did, I did a very nice one on fire regulations, but um, Jeff Wilkinson, uh, on who's the Wilkinson consultant, he writes for the AJ. Uh, he's done one on building regulations. Uh, you know, part or for part or for overheating. Um, the first time ever that they put a letter which suits the title. Um, as I've just seen those updates, part L, part F. You know, the whole thing's kind of starting all over again. That idea that you know you insulate <coughs> you insulate your building and then you cause condensation problems, so therefore you have to ventilate the building, which then cause leaks. So you have to insulate the building again. It's a kind of a circular conversation we've been doing for the last four years. Mm. Uh, so here we go again. But it's be it'd be interesting to see you know what where we reach some kind of resolution. When mm -hmm. we, you know this whole conversation now about. Uh, you know, Insulate Britain had brought to the fore about what, how we need to insulate all our buildings to save energy because of the you know, the climate emergency, et cetera, et cetera. And you think, you know, I'm sitting here looking out my window at, uh, you know, 1880s Victorian terraces. Uh, and you think, how the hell are you going to insulate that then? Apart from external wall insulation, uh, which will then transform the look of every town and city in the country, mm. maybe for the good, I don't know. But... I've just done a report on um, Birmingham Council, <coughs> excuse me, which is refurbishing um, 300 houses for 27 million pounds, mm. uh, which is 90,000 pounds per unit uh, yeah. for energy efficiency measures. Uh, which you know, that's if you pay 5,000 pounds a year, which is what it's now reputed to be, our bills are going to be 5,000 pounds. It's going to take 18 years to pay that back. So uh, that's quite a capital up. Uh, you know, upfront oh, okay. cost mm -hmm. 
for 18 years down the line, um, you know, maybe having to redo it again. So there's some, there's a madness abroad in this conversation. And it's almost, we're responding to things rather than strategically thinking things through um, uh, clearly. Um, and I think that's really where we need to start. So I, I'm a pragmatist, but at the same time, my pragmatism recognizes that we need to have strategic long-term thinking. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can deal with that uh, irony. And so, yeah. So, what what's your next podcast going to be about? Uh, I've got a list of them. Um, <laughs> I've got, excuse me. Um, I've got one on planning legislation. Okay. And uh, now that we've just talked about how confusing planning legislation yeah. is, uh, uh, and I've, then I'm going to do one a little bit more focused on the principal designer and the principal contractor. Right. Um, I've done one on health and safety, and I've done one on CDM generally. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, it's one of those kind of very confusing things as to what, you know, like, it's like all these things, when you're an architect, your mm-hmm. competency re- uh, requires you to tell the client that they need to appoint a planning supervisor. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not a planning supervisor. <laughs> principal a design. principal designer. Strike that. <laughs> Strike that, everybody. I'm teaching this subject, and I, I tell people off so many times to get that wrong. Uh, so a, a principal designer. But you know, you're also not allowed. Not you shouldn't kind of give free information to the clients mm. without kind of due recompense um, uh, as a business. So you know, one of those great ironies of um, cash twenty two isms within mm-hmm. the industry. Um, so yeah, so I'm. So I, I just want to kind of drill down into that a little bit more. Um, but you know, there's a world of things to explain. So, so um, how would we find your podcast? <clears throat> What's it called? It's called Professional Practice Podcasts, oh, yes. uh, uh, and uh, yeah. they're available at the moment on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. You know, just Google Google Professional Practice Podcast. It comes up mostly on iTunes, I think. Um, and there's about 35, 40 of them, I think, now in the archive. Uh, just to say, in terms, of, if any part three students are out there, Mm-hmm. Um, and my part three students are just about to take their viva in uh, three weeks time. Um, I made two, which are kind of quite useful. One is where I interviewed 10 or 12 viva assessors, examiners, mm-hmm. and asked them what they wanted to see and hear. And what, oh, what, what, yeah, mm-hmm. what is a good candidate? Um, it's quite interesting answers, actually. And then I interviewed 15 students who'd just done their viva and what they, okay. wish, they'd, what they wish they'd known what they wish they'd done, what they wish they hadn't said. Uh, <laughs> and again, it's kind of quite a useful one, you know, just to, just to be a little bit more kind of conscious about the process when you enter that room. Mm. Uh, yeah. Do you remember it? Oh, yes, very much so. Very much. Yeah, I, I did um, a, a stint as a part three assessor as well. So oh, really? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's very good. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to call on you. Uh, <laughs> are you based? Are you in Chester, Cheshire? Uh, I'm up in Gatley, South Manchester. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, I recognise the accent. Right? Yeah, so uh, I think <laughs> I think I got um I got called uh because the the it was the RIBA Northwest part three and they asked me to sign um an insurance waiver. My insurance, my professional indemnity <laughs> insurance said, What on earth is this? You make my RIBA point for me. <laughs> what are they like? It's like, hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. they're like, oh, you people just find them. I'm like, no, <laughs> this is the path. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Surely, you asked me to do I should be looking at my professional indemnity insurance. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah, they were asking me to sign all sorts of uh, uh, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in your in your part three yourself, then were, were you one of those annoying students that came out and said, "Oh, I enjoyed that. What a lovely chat." Or did you uh, come out sweating? <laughs> I think I you see I was working for a um um I was yeah I was working for Ian Simpson in Manchester at the time so okay. kind of star architect yeah my um part three uh, assessors were very curious <laughs> about actually what went on oh dear <laughs> So, you know, there were lots of uh, lots of questions as to how the office was run and kind of uh, right. <laughs> and I think they were just intrigued. <laughs> well, hopefully, I mean, I make a special point of telling all our assessors to behave themselves and <laughs> they're not there to ask questions about the practice or to criticise <laughs> I mean, the as, as an expert, I remember the building that we did it in, they were sharing an office with Jim Chapman. Oh, so um, I, I got to use Jim Chapman's um, microfiche. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was the age of microfiche oh, research. Yeah. That's, and I like, honestly, it was quite, yeah, quite, I did quite enjoy. Right. That sounds like a, um, I don't know, that sounds like your first novel. <laughs> I use Jim Chapman's microfiche. That must be, <laughs> yeah. I, the, the, I enjoyed the rigor of it. I I really I don't think I could do it now. Yeah, um, yeah, not me. I think I take, I absorb information in a, in a different way now. Um, so yeah, podcasts are definitely the. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's very generalized for part three. You need to know lots of uh, little about a lot. Mm. Uh, just so you got. I, I think as, as, as long as you can understand the process of thinking about how mm. your know, businesses run, how practices run, how how projects run, mm. but you've got a sense of it. So we do like scenarios. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if you are a student yeah. and you're working for a big practice, you've yeah. never worked on a kitchen extension. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think you learn more from a kitchen extension than you do from HS2, right? Yeah. So, I, so I give them three scenarios. One is a large project, one middle size, you know, commercial and a small domestic project. We have invented... Uh, clients and we have invented scenarios most of which by the way have actually happened to me uh, <laughs> and so we set them off on coursework so we we don't have an exam we have coursework oh, assignments yeah. every month <laughs> so it's actually quite nice and you, you genuinely learn yes yeah, so it's funny because you actually learn through invented scenarios of following a project through on yeah. paper not in reality and it's actually quite nice yeah. uh, but yeah some terrible things happen I mean, in our scenarios i mean um my base level for anyone wanting to join the um the franchise our our cape minimum benchmark is they have to be an architect they have to be a fully qualified uk architect yeah so they have to have passed their part threes yeah, yeah. and that's my standard Good. because you know i know someone's been through that process <laughs> good, good good so they have to be a registered not necessarily a chartered architect. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. registered <laughs> Just yeah. to reinforce the point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I think that's a, a nice Grand. a nice point to stop on. <laughs> a commercial point to stop on. Um, so um thank you very much. My Oscar, pleasure. It's been, been really lovely talking to you. And you too.
and uh, and I hope uh, the audience can um, uh, excuse my terrible sunburn, which I've just noticed for the last half an hour. <laughs> Whereas I thought I was bronzed, in fact, <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm like a beetroot. But anyway, apologies for that. Uh, but really lovely talking to you, Lisa. Good luck with these, and uh, we'll speak again. I'll, 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 I'll do a podcast with you on business practice. Thank you for joining me, Lisa Rains, for Architecture in the Den. If you want to find out about franchising, check out our website, prideroadfranchise.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe and leave a review. And do get in touch through your favourite platform if you'd like to be a guest.